I know I don't present this way, but I'm actually a pretty insecure person. I've always kind of been an insecure person. I don't know if you have any areas in which you're insecure. Um, but really, I think when I was wrestling with what is the deal? Why am I insecure? What is, that? what is the root cause of that? And I think part of the root cause of that is we don't know the answer to this question. How do you know if you measure up? Right? How do you know? Now, if you've ever been on American Idol or America's Got Talent or anything with Simon Cowell, like, you know, because he says, right? He, I mean, he blows everybody up. But if you have it, he lets you know. And like everybody else just says stuff. Everyone else is just kind. They try to find a nice way to say something. But Simon, he'll give it to you straight. And I'm always like, I want a Simon in my life. Like, how do I know if I'm on the right track, if I'm doing well? And you think about it, there's so few times in our life that we ever know, right? In college, you take a class and you get a grade and you know, okay, I did well or I did poorly, but there's an, there's an objective standard, you get a grade and you're done. Or you get fired from a job, that's a pretty good way to tell, like you did not measure up, right? Goodbye, right? So there's a, but outside of that, like outside of grades in college and being fired, how in the world do you know, are you the woman or man that you are called to be, that you are doing it well? And there is just no way to tell. I mean, Instagram likes, I mean, after so many, you think you crush it, and then you find out, you know, some high school kid has like 10,000 followers. You're like, why? There's nothing there. But it's incredible. You never know. Well, all of humans for all of history have wrestled with this. How do they know if they measure up? And, how do, and, and really, at the core of it is not only how do we measure up in our world, uh, in our friendships, but how do we measure up to God? Because God's invisible. We don't know if we're doing well or not. We live in this culture where we, we're like, we're all good people. Like, if you ask anyone on the street, if I ask you, are you a good person? You're like, yes, I'm a good person. But it's this really gray, mushy, like, how good of a person am I? And for all of human history, all over the world, humans have wrestled with this idea, am I good enough to be close to God? And they don't know. No one knows. And so is it sacrifice that does it? Right? So humans have always sacrificed humans, animals, anything they get a hold of, trying some way to appease this spiritual God, this mysterious, invisible God, and no one ever really knows. And that's why it was interesting when, when God shows up on the scene and comes and meets Moses on Mount Sinai and gives him the Torah, all of a sudden God did something that was unique in all of human history. Because for all of human history, humans knew they really didn't measure up to God. Humans at our core, we know that we are not the good people that we long to be. And so how do we then be, make things right between us and God? And all of a sudden in the Torah, it was clear, yep, you are not a good person. You are a broken, flawed, rebellious person who is selfish and just crushes yourself and others around you. Like that is the truth. But yet there is this truth that God loves us. We're made in his image. We long to be close to God. We're wired to be close to God. And so how do we bridge that gap? And God, in, in the Torah and in Leviticus, my new favorite book, um, he spells out, this is how you, sinful, broken, rebellious people, can now be close to God. And it was, it was revolutionary in all of human history to actually spell out and say, this is how it's done. And ultimately, that was just a picture of what Christ did when he came and lived and died and rose again, that he took all of our sin, all of our rebellion, all the things that we've broken and will break, he took that all on himself and exchanged it, and we now got his righteousness in exchange. Because of Jesus, we now measure up, right? That we are now clothed in the righteousness of God. We can now have access to God. We now get to be in relationship with God. And I'm really excited because for the next four weeks, we're starting this brand new series called Freedom. And the basic gist is this, that it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. 
All of the religious mumbo jumbo, right? All the things we just talked about, that we're broken, sinful people, Jesus died for our sins so we can spend forever in eternity with God, that we can now get the clothes and the righteousness of God, like all of that stuff, which is Christianity 101, which is great. The reason is, the fruit of that is so that we can be free, that we can fully be the unique women and men that God has made us to be to find all comfort, to know. And the question is, do I measure up? To know, yes, I do measure up. And because I measure up, I now can be all that God has for me. So we're going to kick off the series by reading uh, in Galatians chapter 5. So if you have a Bible, turn to Galatians, excuse me, Galatians chapter 5. So it begins like this. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. Mark my words, for I, Paul, tell you that, that, sorry, I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. And again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he's obligated to obey the whole law. You who are trying to be justified by a law have been alienated from Christ. You've fallen away from grace, for through the Spirit you eagerly await for the righteousness for which we hope. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith, expressing itself through love. Now, in these six short verses, I mean, there's such incredible, rich theology. I mean, we're going to unpack it. The first part is so great that it is for freedom that we've been set free. And at the end of it is this idea, right, that the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself in love. And I'm like, Jeff, why would you even make me preach on the middle part? So we have like a circumcision sandwich coming up. How exciting is that? <laughs> all right. I'll just see if you're staying awake. That's all. Okay. All right. Well, let's start with the first part. Um, so it begins in Galatians chapter one. It is for freedom that Christ Jesus has set you free. Could you even imagine being free? Like, could you even imagine it? And for some reason, imagination has gotten a bad rap, uh, especially in the church. But really, imagination is an opportunity for you to take your thinking and kind of unbound it kind of from all the normal constraints that kind of keep you locked in the way that you see the world. And so could you even imagine that there is this God in heaven who loves you, who sees you, not you general, but you specifically, and loves you and longs for you to be in a relationship with him. He knows all of the broken and rebellious things you've done, all the evil things, all the things in your head. He knows all of that, and yet has found a way to pay for that, to cover that, and yet longs to be close to you. And for some reason, we know in our head, we go, yeah, that's what Christianity is, but very few of us actually know in the depths of our being. And I think that's because most of us have so much baggage, so many broken relationships, we're always girded up and we never can be free because we have been proven that we do not measure up to everybody around us. And we don't have the right muscles in our head to begin to imagine that maybe we really could be free. But that's what God's inviting us to do. And that's what we're going to be spending this, this, this series doing. Imagine growing our brain, growing our thoughts to what if it was true? What if we could really understand the depths of God's love for you specifically and to embrace his purpose for you specifically? Well, I came across uh, this video of Steph Curry. And uh, this was at a post-game um, interview. And I just think the interaction between him and his daughter says something really powerful about God's love and affection towards us. Check this out. You stand right, you stand right there. I to okay, okay. I'm not saying it's basketball, but it's... Uh, we're, 
<laughs> We're both supposed to, uh, you know. Get to work, Daddy. I know. Hold on one second, okay? Be quiet. <laughs> uh, there's going to be stretches where, you know, he plays well, and obviously he did that for his, for his, uh, his team in the third. That whole video goes on for like seven minutes. I watched it like four different times. I was just mesmerized by Steph Curry in that moment because I'm a dad, I have a job, I have kids, and I'm like, listen, back away, daughter, back away, son. I have something important to do. I love you, and when I get home, I'll tell you how much I love you, but right now, this is about me doing my thing. And I think all of us, we live our lives, like we, we're adults, we have stuff we need to do, and our kids need to stay at home, and then they can get affectionate at home. And over our entire lives, right, that just is, that breaks us, that wounds us, that kind of recalibrates, well, then what does that really mean? And I love this picture because it's Steph Curry, right? I mean, he's the most powerful, popular, financially wealthy resource guy in the NBA. He's incredible. And his daughter's like, um, I want to sit on your lap. He's like, well, get on up here. And she ruins the entire press conference for him, how I would want to be. But right, instead, we're in dear, we're blown away. We cannot imagine. And we're blown away by his love and his grace towards his daughter. I came across this quote. This is a, he, he, he was talking about parenting. And he said this, I want them, my kids, to be confident in themselves and to understand that they are unique. There's something about them that God has put in their life that's going to make them stand out. So embrace whatever it is. And as they go through life, that's hopefully what sparks their success. And you read that and you're like, I bet Riley's going to experience that, right? I bet Riley is going to embrace and figure out what it is that she wants to do. And she's going to have every opportunity, right? She's going to be like, I like horseback riding. She's going to have every opportunity to go horseback riding. She wants to be a painter and paint. She's going to have every opportunity to paint. She loves math. She's going to become every opportunity to be tutored to be the most incredible math whiz kid ever. And you know it's going to happen, right? Because Steph Curry has unlimited resources, he has unlimited bandwidth. He's powerful. He's rich. And you can see in this video, he's kind-hearted and he wants his, the best for his daughter. And that's just Steph Curry, who's now getting old and rolling his ankles all the time. But, you know, like that's him. And you're like, I can kind of get my picture head around that. How much more do we need to imagine that God longs for us to sit on his lap? That God has all the power and all the resources to percolate in us these dreams that are bigger than we could ever get our head around and wants to fan those dreams into existence, wants to leverage these gifts that he's given us and send us off into the big bad world to be incredible, mighty people for his kingdom. Like that's the truth of scripture. That's what Christianity teaches at its most basic. And yet it is the hardest thing for us to understand. And so that's why I like this question. Can you just imagine, are you willing to spend a little time daydreaming about what that might be. That you are Riley Curry, right? All that affection, all that love, all those resources pointing towards you to be launched. Could you even imagine? Well, if you can, and the people who begin to say yes to Jesus, they begin to fall in love with God. They begin this, this process. Also, they begin this passion, right? Like, you remember the first time you fell in love with God? And you're like, yes, this is incredible. And this thing kind of boils up inside of you. And I love this picture of football because football, A, it's my favorite sport. It's the best sport on the planet. But it's, I love it because it's so complex. There's so many different people, so many different positions, so many things that have to happen. And yet every great football movie, right, is all this team that's all disorganized and the coach comes in and he whips everybody into shape and they all are driving together in one place to do one thing and then they win the state championship, whatever that means. But that's how the movies go. But this is really what we do. Jesus is inviting us to get into the game 
to say yes to him and to get on the field and then to work our tails off to do what the coach says. My son's about to play football next year. He's never played football. And so we're like, how is this going to work out? We're not even sure. I'm like, are you going to be on punt return once a, once a game? Or are you going to be a star linebacker or something in between? We have no idea. But he's going to show up. He's going to work hard. He's going to be on the team. And the coach is going to be able to assess, okay, this is the place for you to go. And that really is what God wants us to do. He says, listen, are you willing to get on the field and work hard? All God wants for you is your effort to say, yes, I want to embrace this new identity. I'm getting on the field. I'm going to run hard. And then as we grow and mature in Christ, he then moves us around and puts us in the right position that's uniquely crafted for the way that you're made and for the way that I'm made. Now, anyone who's ever done a team sport, there's this weird thing that happens, right? Whereas you are like, we are going to crush and you're like all passionate. You're going to carry the team and you're going to eat right and you're going to exercise and you're going to work really hard. And then you look around at the people around you and there's those slackers who aren't doing their job and it causes anger in you. Well, there's this middle part that if we're going to truly be free and we're going to truly run after Jesus, there's this very human thing that we have to kill because we cannot escape being self-righteous. It is like the core attribute of being human. I don't know, we just need it. We need to look around, we need to judge everybody, and we need to make sure that we're doing better than at least somebody else. And so we point towards them and we judge them. Now for me, I have, uh, I've, I've been on a diet for 20 years. And, and this is how my diet works. It's Monday morning, it's day one, and I am so committed to dieting. I take my food app, I, I fry my egg, and I add a little salsa, and it's 147 calories. Check. I do my day, I go to lunch, and I have a bar and, uh, and some nuts. Check. I have dinner, I have a big salad with some black beans because I'm so healthy. Check. The next day, the same. And I am crushing it. And, and by Tuesday night, this weird thing happens. I start getting a little hungry. And I look at my family just eating chips and popcorn and they're going to have brownies for dessert. And I just think, you idiots. Don't you care about your body? Don't you care about being healthy? Aren't we trying to be healthy together? And I just judge the crap out of them. I just judge them, right? Because I am so passionate about this thing that I'm doing on Monday and Tuesday and they're not with me. And so I judge them. It's self-righteous. It is just in the core of my being. And my, it drives my wife crazy because by Wednesday night, I'm so hungry that I'm like eating pizza. I'm like a whole Little Caesars pizza all to myself. I don't care. I'm so hungry, but I did so good on Monday and Tuesday. It doesn't matter. And by Thursday, I'm like hitting, getting taquitos and Twix bars between appointments and the wheels have just gone off. And my wife's like, how about if you just lived normally all week long? But I don't get that. But there's this weird thing. When the second we decide that we're going to do something, we're horrified that everybody around us isn't ready to do that thing in all things, whether it's on a team sport, whether it's dieting, and for sure when it comes to our walk with God. Once we have now arrived at this place and we're like, I am now ready to serve Jesus. I am now ready to follow him with all my guts. The very next thing is to look all around you and to realize no one else is as good as you and as righteous as you. And you need to make sure it's clear to everybody that they're not measuring up. It is in us. And if we're going to be the people that God longs for us to be, if we're going to be the church that God longs for us to be, man, we have to identify that and kill that. So in Galatians chapter 2, I mean chapter 5, verse 2, it says this, Mark my words that I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. So what was going on here is in the early church, 
Jesus came to Israel and all these Jewish people were becoming Christians. And it was incredible. They were the fulfillment of the law. The Messiah had come. Whether they were good Jewish people or wayward Jewish people, they were coming to Christ and the scriptures were fulfilled and they could just live right in line and be followers of Christ. It was super easy. But what's happening is people outside of the Jewish community were coming to know Christ. And the Holy Spirit was showing up to these Gentile believers as evidence that God, that the gospel was meeting them and that God's favor was upon them. And all of a sudden, everyone was wrestling with, well, what do we do? What do we do with this circumcision thing? Because that is the number one marker. That has been the number one marker for thousands and thousands of years. And all the early Christians were also, the Gentile ones would get circumcised. But now all of a sudden, they're like, maybe we don't need to be circumcised. And there was this big debate that happened. And talk about a way to be judgmental, right? Like you were either clearly in or you're out. And what Paul's trying to say here is he was saying, listen, you, it is for freedom that you've been set free. You are free people. I've extended you grace and mercy. And if you are trying to follow this law to prove that you are righteous, then you have forgotten the righteousness that I've given you. And so if you are uncircumcised and you're going to say yes to circumcision because that's what it seems like all the good religious people around you are doing and that's the law that you're going to link up to, then you've actually given away what it actually means to be my follower. So again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obligated to obey the whole law. You who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. You've fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit we eagerly await by faith, the righteousness for which we hope. Because the question that is at the core of our being always is, do we measure up? Are you righteous enough? And the second you can realize, no, that I am not righteous enough, but yet Christ's life and his death and resurrection have covered all my sins, all the broken things that I'm going to break, Jesus had a way to pay for them. It's his righteousness, and now that I am free to embrace him, that is the, the sum, Right? And with that comes righteousness, and we have to kill that. Because we, if we don't kill that, then we don't get to the meat of being good news to the world around us. So if the first question is, can you even begin to imagine being free in Christ? That's the first thing. The second question is, can you actually let other people be free? And I'm not going to lie. The gospel has always said yes, and the church has always said no. So early on in Jesus' ministry, he goes and he finds Levi. Levi is a tax collector. And you know tax collectors are bad because all throughout Scripture, it's sinners and tax collectors, right? The lowest of the low, sinners, tax collectors. Jesus goes to Levi and says, Levi, will you follow me? And Levi's like, yes, of course I will. And all of a sudden, everyone's like, whoa. A tax collector is going to be one of your people? But Jesus is like, yes. And, and since Jesus is your rabbi, everyone's like, okay, I guess that's okay. But it caused such a stir, right? And, and Levi's first thing, he's like, this is awesome. I get to be a follower of Jesus. I want you to be my friends. And he throws this huge party and invites Jesus. And you can imagine how weird that would be, right? Imagine you at your, like, your, uh, you throw a big old party for all your friends and all of a sudden, like, you invite me or Pastor Jeff to show up and you're like, hey, thanks for coming. You know, it's like this little awkwardness. Like, we were just kind of being nice inviting you. But we're there. And so, so all these people around Levi's party, all these sinners and tax collectors having this raging party and Jesus, the rabbi, shows up. So everyone's like, that's kind of weird. And then all these Pharisees showed up and they're like, what are you doing here, being here? And that's the whole gospel story saying, Jesus saying, listen, everybody is welcome. Everybody gets to be invited into the family of God, even this sinner, this tax collector. But he was Jewish. He was circumcised. He was the son of Abraham. All he had to do was turn away and not be a tax collector anymore, and then he could be part of the family of God. 
Well, later in Acts, Peter um, is met by the Holy Spirit and invited to go to Cornelius' house. Cornelius was a, was a Roman centurion. He's a Gentile, not a son of Abraham, not circumcised, can eat pork, right? And Peter's invited to his house, and Peter's like, there's no way I'm going to this guy's house. I love you, Jesus. I want to honor you. And, and Jesus is like, no, you have to go to his house. And he has three dreams. And finally, after the third dream, he's like, fine, I will go to this guy's house. And he shows up at this house, and he just wants to make clear, listen, you are a dirtball Gentile, and I am an awesome Jewish follower of Christ but Jesus made me be here. That's like my interpretation of what happened. But it was like this really weird, not a very hospital way that, that, that Peter shows up at this house. But he shows up, he's with Cornelius, and the Holy Spirit descends on this home as evidence that the gospel of Christ is extended to these, believe, to these Gentiles who are not circumcised. The gospel always wants more and more people to be free. And it's the church who's always like, Ooh, what does this mean, right? Well, the, the debate that happened, and Cornelius may, be, may or may not have been part of that debate, but more and more Gentiles were coming to know Christ, and their church wrestled forever and ever. What about circumcision? I mean, it's the number one marker of being in the family of God. And these Gentile Christians and Paul are like, no, it's not important. I mean, it blew their mind. Imagine the most controversial thing that the church has ever dealt with. It pales in comparison to this. And Paul advocates and says, no, these guys are in and they don't need to be circumcised. In Acts 15, there's the Council of Jerusalem and they actually decide, you're like, you know what? You are right. You do not have to be circumcised to be part of the family of God. The gospel is always reaching out. It is always extending grace to a wider and wider and wider group of people. And it's the church who's always been holding it back, trying to keep everybody on the straight and narrow. And so the question is, can we let others be free? If we can imagine that God loves us, God longs for us to be in his family, that all of our sin, all of our brokenness, all of the problems, all those things, like all the weird things that make us that we give all the grace to ourselves for, but we can get that God loves us, how in the world do we not extend that to other people? And so as a church, the question is, how are we going to do that? I love at the end of this passage of Galatians, it says this, for in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. That is a mind-blowing situation. The one marker for thousands of years, Paul is saying, circumcision, no circumcision. That does not matter at all. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. You want to know what it means to fully embrace your freedom in Christ? You want to know what it means to actually let other people be free? It means this. It means faith. It means you surrendering more and more of your life to Christ. And the fruit of that is not self-righteousness. The natural fruit of that is self-righteousness. But Paul is saying, no, no, no. The only thing that counts is faith. Moving closer and closer towards Christ. And you know you're doing it because it's expressing itself in love and in generosity especially for people who are not like you. Now, I, uh, I am a graphic designer um, in my heart, but my skills did not match that. This is a graph that I made. Um, so imagine a color spectrum, the little cross, that represents Jesus, and then you have an arrow. So I did a pretty good job in my mind. Like I, I accomplished what I wanted to accomplish this. But really, the question is, how do we live this out? That's a really great theological concept, right? That if we want to grow and be people who can imagine being more and more free in Christ, and yet at the same time, we want to make space for other people to be free, 
when the rubber meets the road, road, how are we, people here at Marin Covenant, at our church, how in the world are we going to do that? Now, intuitively, this is what it looks like. We are in the green band. We're green people. Woo! The way it works for green people is this. If you show up 10 minutes late, you sing a song, you occasionally tie, put a little money in the basket, you sit for the sermon, and then you, you bolt at the end, you are in the green. You made it. Good job. You're here. You're green people. Now, as you get closer, there's actually a really clear path, right? That we want to move towards Christ, right? We come to church, we worship, we give our tithes and offerings, we we study the word, we have small groups. There's all these things. We serve the world and the community around us. And and if you jump on board of these things, then you are on this arrow and you are in the family. You are not only in the green spectrum, you are on the arrow moving towards Christ. You are in. And for everyone who's in, it's great. We're free in Christ, and you can be free as long as you're on the green arrow. That's kind of how most of the world works, most churches work. It's how we work in neutral. But I think what Christ might be inviting us to do is to, is to have a, a, a broader sense of what God may be doing in the world around us. Because all of the world are not green people. All of Marin are not green people. All of the people in this room right now actually aren't all green people. Some of you guys are trying really hard to be green people, to be good green, but that's not it. We're not called to be green people. We're called to be people who move more and more towards Christ. And so the, 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 the hard question is this. Are you willing to make space for someone who shows up in the pink area or the blue area? Whatever their life, whatever their background, whatever their story, whatever their issues, whatever their convictions, and they show up anywhere on that spectrum, they said, hey, I want to come and I want to move towards Christ. But they're very far away from the green spectrum. Do you have it in you to extend freedom to them? I'm not going to lie. In my head, I'm like, yes, all day, amen, until I hang out with those people. And then I'm like, I don't know about that. And I've wrestled all week with why in the world can I not get here? In my head, I want to be here, but what is it? Why can I not let someone who sees the world differently than me, who understands what it means to be a Christian differently than me, who might have different convictions differently than me, what, why can't I let them be free? I'm, I'm on a path moving towards Christ. They're, they're on a path moving towards Christ. And I think the bottom line is that I am scared. I haven't come to terms with the real answer of do I measure up? Because once I settle that, once I know that I measure up because of Christ and I can be free, then who anybody else is, how anybody else works out their walk with God actually has no bearing or impact on me. That's actually a pretty freeing thing. And now, instead of trying to get everybody to be green, I just get to help everybody take another step towards Christ. And some people are moving towards Christ. Like, look at if I'm on a green arrow and they're on a pink arrow, we're going in opposite directions but yet we're moving towards Christ. And so I just think that's a challenging thing. It's a thing we're we're kind of verbally processing here because that feels a little bit dangerous. But wouldn't it be incredible if we were a church of people who were free, who fully embraced in our movement towards Christ that you are precious, dearly beloved daughters and sons of God with all the rights, with all the responsibilities, and he just wants you to sit on his lap and embrace him and to be empowered by him and to be used by him. And as you do that, to extend that kind of grace and mercy to other people as they're on their journey as well. What an awesome church that would be. What if we could lean into that?
So I have this last question. The question is this, what is your invitation? All of us are on different parts of this color wheel. We're all engaging Christ in different manners and different ways. And so for you, what is Christ inviting you to do? Is it Maybe it might be to work out some of your issues and your baggage and to figure out and wrestle with God genuinely loves you. Can you get your head around that? Do you need to do some imaginative work to understand the depths of God's love and passion and joy for you? That takes some serious work and God's inviting you to be on that path to work towards that. Some of you are so excited in your love for God and you're passionately running after him with all that you have, but unintentionally you're crushing everybody around you because they're not running as fast as you or in the same color wheel. And maybe the invitation for you is simply to make some space for other people to move towards Christ from a different direction. Wouldn't that be scary? So what's the work that you need to do to do that as well? I'm gonna invite the band out and as we get ready to to come to the table, um, I've been really struck this this last weekend, um, Rachel Held Evans, she's an incredible pastor and author and writer. She died unexpectedly. And um, she's just this incredible and powerful voice for people who've been wronged by the church. For Christians, good-hearted people who have just seemed to steamroll all the people who didn't fit into the green area. And she just became their advocate and became their pastor and has collected this gigantic community of people. And uh, her passing this weekend was just heartbreaking for an entire community of people. And, and so I just read all these, all these quotes and all these um, different uh, tributes to her. And it was, just, it was so powerful. But I came across this, one of her quotes and she said this, could you even imagine if the church was a place that was safe for everybody, but comfortable for nobody? That's a challenge that I've been really wrestling with. And I think, I think that'd be a church that Jesus would be proud of. If we were a place that was safe for everyone, and if we're really gonna be a place that's safe for everyone, then you know it's gonna be a place that's gonna, bring, that's gonna be comfortable for no one. And so as we come to communion, as we come to the table, we come to the table that Jesus set. And if we know anything from the ministry of Jesus, his arms are extended wide to everybody from every walk of life. Everybody is welcome to the table of Christ. Everyone is welcome to embrace his love and his grace and his forgiveness. And it is at the table on the night that Jesus was betrayed that he took the bread and he broke it He said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Eat this in remembrance of me. And then the same way after supper, he took the cup. And as he poured it out, he said, this is the cup of the new covenant, sealed in my blood for the forgiveness of sins. If you want to know how you measure up, the truth is that you don't measure up because we are rebellious, sinful, broken people who seem to break every relationship we ever enter into. Yet Jesus sees us while we were sinners, while we were rebellious wild banshees, he died for us, extends us his grace and his mercy and his righteousness. So in Christ, we do measure up. And we remember that for every time that we eat this bread and we drink this cup, we celebrate the life and the death and the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus. And we anxiously wait for him to come back and make all wrongs right.